ditching internationals faster than you can say it was you Premier League it was always you it's the Totally Football Show today we preview a whopping weekend with Fulham facing Man City perhaps Huddersfield's final chance and Harry Kane heading to the NFL ahead of field goals can he get and field goals as Liverpool hosts Spurs there's the dirtiest league fixture, 10 goals for England and more late, late finishes than a man assembling flat pack furniture in the week's Scandinavian internationals. All of that in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, hello. First question, who's with us today? Well, we've got Optus Duncan Alexander, who's opted to be with us. Nice. Duncan, Hi, yeah. James. Hi. Got some fascinating, fascinating numbers uh, later on, on all sorts of topics. Mm. Also with us today, noted author Tom Williams. Hello, James. The man behind Do You Speak Football? Indeed. Any plans for a follow-up, Tom? No concrete plans, but a sort of theoretical plan. Oh, really? That it might be nice to write another book one day. OK. So look out for that. Absolutely. <laughs> and happy birthday to Chelsea TV commentator Matt Davis-Adams. Thanks, James. Woo-hoo. Happy birthday, Matt. Thanks. Nice to be here on, on this occasion. Always the same every day this year, but what better way to spend it? Yeah, absolutely. And we, we brought him a cake. Cause Lots of wants... cakes. Yeah, really really good uh, pastoral care from, from your friends at Buddy News Media. Big question on this special day, Matt, is who's in your birthday team? Okay, like, Steve Mondonda in goal. He's in there. He's in yeah. goal. Benjamin Do you know Pavard. what? Oh, sorry, Tom. actually, I was about to say it's Steve Mondonda's birthday today. But that's, <laughs> that's literally why we're talking about this. Yep. As you were, carry on. Benjamin Pavard also shares an anniversaire. A French feel so far. Yeah, Christopher Samba, relegated with Blackburn and QPR. Right, yeah. Under yep. our old ears. Oh, also, uh, Granite Shaka's brother, Toulon. Okay. And Steve Bull up front. I think this is a half decent team, actually. All right, Tom, maybe we'll have yours later on, if listeners can bear the uh, suspense. Okay, yeah. Brilliant. Ready when you are. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, in association with Paddy Power. Premier League returning this weekend. Eight games to go then. What could well prove one of the most exciting season finales ever between the title race, the relegation battle, and also the battle for Champions League places. Is it top four? Is it top three? Are you nervous, Matt? From a Chelsea perspective, mm. yeah. I mean, I don't think they're favourites to finish in the top four, certainly. Um, whether the Europa League is a viable fallback, we shall see. Right, OK. Uh, should we start today then at the top? Because huge game coming up uh, on Sunday. Liverpool, who are two points clear of Man City, while City will enjoy an afternoon this weekend at the Premier League's resident fluffers, Fulham. <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> face surely the tougher test against Tottenham. Is it a tougher test, though, Tom Williams? Because Spurs haven't been very good of late. A tougher test than... Well, Fulham. I mean, yes, I think it is a tougher test. Having said that, Spurs weren't in great form going into the international break. One win in five in all competitions, um, looking a little bit leggy. Uh, and Liverpool, after that that period where they appear to have hit the skids a bit, I think it was, what, five draws in seven games in all competitions? Won the last three, beating Burnley and Fulham in the league and then that win away to, to Bayern Munich in the Champions League. Uh, and I thought that, that Fulham win was was quite a good one for Liverpool and that they didn't play particularly well. I mean, Fulham are remain very generous opponents, but they are a slightly different proposition at home. There have been improvements since Scott Parker came in. They played quite well when they lost at home to Chelsea. They played quite well in that game against Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool weren't at their best. Uh, Mo Salah, again, having another 
off day. Uh, and they managed to grind it out um, and get the victory with that James Milner penalty at the end. Um, players coming back to fitness. Joe Gomez back in training. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain not too far away as well. So it, it feels that Liverpool might have might have ridden out that storm. Do you think? Uh, what, possibly. What about Spurs? Might the international break? Might, might that see them you know, rekindle their spark? Yeah, possibly. I mean, they've not got a very good record at Anfield and Liverpool, if they don't lose this one, will go joint second in longest ever unbeaten runs at home in the Premier League. Is that right? Yeah, they'll go 37, which Man City did in between 2010 and 2012. Obviously, Chelsea's monstrous 86 Mm. uh, under Mourinho back in the good Mourinho era um, is still the record. But yeah, I think, as we often say with Liverpool, if they can if they can get an early goal I think they will probably go on to do okay but I mean Tottenham you think will be you know all their eggs now although they obviously do want to finish in the top four but all their eggs will be in the Champions League basket to what extent has Mane's form been carrying Liverpool? Yeah, he certainly has, I think. And, and interesting that um, Shakiri's been out for a while. Did you see what the Swiss national team account tweeted about him? I didn't. Last week. The player has inflammation in the pubic area. Oh. Uh, Jurgen Klopp more charitably described it as a groin injury. Yeah. Uh, but he's back is, is that, for this game. Would that be the same thing? Well, I mean, I think Klopp was just trying to dress it up a little bit for the player's own... Uh, Privacy, maybe. I see. Um, yeah, but yes, Mane has been carrying Liverpool for the, for the last few weeks. I think that's, that's fair to say. But I mean, that happens with teams throughout the season, doesn't it? We see it often enough uh, with Kane for for Spurs, for example. But I feel like Spurs, there's going to be so much focus on their next game on Wednesday, the first game in the new stadium against Crystal Palace. And uh, yeah, I'd make Liverpool favourites favourites to win this. If Shakiri's got um, pubic inflammation, then... Uh, Liverpool's other Brazilian issue is Firmino. I mean, a lot of people are focusing on um, Salah's run without a goal, but I think you know he's still contributing creatively, and he's still having a lot of shots. He had five at Fulham. Um, only one of them was a was a good chance. He's possibly doing a bit of a Steven Gerrard at the moment and having too many shots um, because he's desperate to score. But I think at least he's still contributing a lot, whereas Firmino really has been off form mainly for the last couple of months. Right. This, this might be the last big test. For Liverpool in terms of their Premier League fixtures, the the only other game against the top six side they've got is home to Chelsea. Um, Chelsea you've lost at Arsenal, Spurs, and Manchester City, and three of Liverpool's last four: Cardiff, Huddersfield, and Newcastle. So if they do win this, it puts them in a fantastic position. You would think that's interesting. Mm. It's going to be equally fascinating to see what kind of form Spurs are in. Eric Dyer, I imagine, is not one hundred percent certain to be available for this, but there's the Harry Winks option. That's once more a thing. Uh, speaking of Harry Kane, his revelations that he's keen on going to play NFL, how do you see that factoring into this? <laughs> Probably won't factor into this one too much. He's talking 10 to 12 years' time, isn't he? Apparently he's good mates with Tom Brady. Yes. I didn't realise that kicker was the position that you get paid by far the least in any NFL team. Well, it stands to reason. No. I, I don't know the you first do. thing about just the guy who just comes on and kicks yeah. Yeah, for the posts and then goes off was, again. I think there was an example of a guy who was like the third choice kicker at the Buffalo Bills or something. And basically, he was still on sort of 400 grand a year. Right. And he hadn't actually what about been punters in the game for three with years. The, with not, not people in the stands, but the people who come on and do the punting. Yeah. Do kickers um, still wear the pads? They all pad it oh, up. Oh yeah, but not as much. Why? <coughs> all they ever do is kick. Is because there a danger was, that they might get clobbered? Yeah, yeah or absolutely. In the same way that the, the D will try and rush a quarterback and sack him, like a Chelsea manager. In some cases, um, you're fake. You, you can also rush the kick. Special teams will be in your face, Tom. So it's not just going Constantly. on kicking it and going off. You've got to be. Well, it, you've it, got it, to keep it, your it, wits it about you. Yeah. 
David anyway, James wanted to have a go at being a kicker didn't as well, he, didn't he? he? Did, yeah. I think he was in the World Football League. Right. That might be wrong. Dwayne Harry, Chambers wanted to be a wide receiver. Yeah. Harry Kane says, something that in 10 to 12 years I would definitely want to try. If you play in the Premier League and the World Cup and then you play in the NFL, would you be considered one of the greatest sportsmen ever? Listeners can formulate their own answer to that question. I it goes back for quite a successful kicker, Kane, because he's very accurate. That's one of the things. Yeah. He's a very accurate shooter. He's a very accurate passer of the ball. Right. Um, you know, relatively two-footed. I know nothing about NFL, so I mean, I don't think two-footedness but... is necessarily an issue there because the ball is placed exactly where you want it. You don't no, have... I have to think it'd be an advantage, though, would it not be? You, you can do like curlers from Again, both sides. Again, there's no one attempting to block your shot. Mm. There's no one standing there's on the no crossbar. There's no one But if you're NFL. stuck out on the right-hand touchline, sideline, right. yeah, would it would it not favour the left footer, or is this is this football? No, 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 it's straight down doesn't... the middle. Oh, it's always straight down the middle. Always straight down the middle. Oh, it's not like rugby then. I can see why they get paid the least amount of money. Yeah. Uh, just back to Harry Kane, because I enjoyed this quote. If it goes back to that drive to be the best. Even if I download a game on my phone, can I be the best in the world? Says Harry. I admire that dedication, that endless, relentless search for perfection. And I wonder what that means for Liverpool this weekend. I'm just saying. Mr Penalty then scored one, didn't he, in this fixture last season at Anfield and went up to the camera at the end and held the ball and said, you don't give me two chances. Did yeah, he, he did, do that? He? Which was which was quite an odd, mm, not quite uncane like. Yeah, yeah. Or is it? Maybe he's more like that. Mm. Maybe this NFL thing is him emerging as that sort of figure. His braggadociousness coming to the fore. Absolutely. It feels like it's already been a, a good week for Spurs in that we now know they are going to move into the stadium next week, and they had that very successful test event. Yeah. The weather was incredible, and the stadium looks magnificent. Mm. And then with the news that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is now the permanent. Manager Ooh. of Manchester United, that's another club who aren't going to be taking Mauricio Pochettino away from White Hart Lane at the end of the season, uh, in addition to Real Madrid. So yeah, bit of feel-good factor back at Spurs perhaps? Well, Liverpool currently two points ahead, but they have played one game more than Man City, who this weekend, as we mentioned, are away at Fulham, who've lost their last six, City having won their last 11 games in a row. Anyone else got a funny feeling about this fixture? No. Fulham have conceded at least twice in each of their last 11 Premier League games. They've got a really, really awful record against City, losing the last six, conceding, scoring three, conceding 19. Um, Fulham, slight improvement, as Tom alluded to, under, under Scott Parker, but only in terms of they're not getting beaten as heavily. They're still getting beaten. City could have any of De Bruyne, Fernandinho, Mendy and Stones back I mean, available for this game. However you spin it, this is the best attack versus the worst defence. So, I mean, City have scored 64 goals this year, which for a lot of teams that would be a good total at the end of December. Um, they've got twice as many as any other Are team. Are you saying in 2019? Yeah. Oh my word. Um, the next highest is Chelsea and Arsenal on 32, so that's half. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Fulham, How many have Huddersfield got in 2019? They've got six. But three of those in one game? Yeah, in their, in their most recent game, so they are the new Man City in some ways, but in many other ways they're not. Not okay. Well, among the many weapons that Pep has at his disposition is a certain Raheem Sterling, eight goals in his last five, including some for England, who we'll be talking about after this. A couple of updates from part one. It's actually seven now in a row that Fulham have lost, and David James trained with the Miami Dolphins but was never part of the squad. Also had a penchant for video games. Indeed he did. There's a big Harry Kane mm. connection going oh, on. Oh, right, there, yeah. A similar dedication to being number one. Mm. Excellent. Uh, Alex McLeish 
It appears he's due to be relieved of his Scotland duties sometime, possibly today, 13 months and less than 10 matches after he was brought in as a kind of emergency appointment. Uh, results and possibly ill health, in which case our very best wishes to Alex, who, however the results may have gone, is an absolutely splendid uh, fellow. Uh, we shall see what happens on that front. A lot of talk of Marky Mackay coming in as a uh, a caretaker boss. Uh, anyway, Scotland, this all follows their uh, defeat away at Kazakhstan and then narrow 2-0 victory, nervy win in San Marino. Also in international news, Ireland looked a bit better, won the win over Georgia with the fans throwing tennis balls onto the field. Meanwhile, in Switzerland... Six minutes to play, Tom. Switzerland 3-0 up and cruising. Shaka had fired in that missile and then Kasper Michael had let himself and his country down uh, for, I think, Denmark's third. But then what happens? Complete and utter meltdown. And it's actually, the highlights are quite amusing, not from a, a, a Swiss perspective. Um, well, as Kieran Fallon says, Denmark's three-goal recovery was a great game for the neutral, but terrible for the neutrals. <laughs> mm, very much so. Um it starts off with a Christian Eriksen free kick that is allowed to bounce in the six-yard box that Matthias Jorgensen nods in. Um, Eriksen then sets up uh, Yusuf Paulsen to square for Christian Gitkaya. Nice. Uh, traditional pronunciation uh, to tap in. And then we get into stoppage time. Switzerland are clinging on to a 3-2 lead. And they have about 17 opportunities to clear this bouncing ball that's just bouncing around the area. And they don't. Uh, and Brentford's Henrik Dalsgaard Crashes into head home his first international goal. Boom. Three uh, three from three nil down six minutes earlier. Swiss stand ball. Called it over yes. on uh, Eurosports. Is, yeah, very good. Yeah, Can't improve nice. on that. Uh, amazing. That's all in Ireland's group, of course. They will be going to Denmark in June. Incidentally, while that was going on, almost simultaneously, there was an equally extraordinary match going on. Was this in Sweden? At Oslo. Right. So, and what happened there? Norway 2 0 up, 20 minutes to go. Sweden score three times uh, in the last 20 minutes to go 3-2 up. And then in the 96th minute, with Sweden trying to cling on to this 3-2 lead, Norway win a corner, goalie goes up and everything. Uh, Martin Erdegaard, Real Madrid forgotten man, former wonder kid, swings in the corner. uh, And Ola Kamara steals in unmarked at the near post, a head-in and equalises with 3-3. Football, eh? Jevla fuit. As they say. Indeed. <laughs> uh, England got another big win. 5-1 in Montenegro. That's 10 goals in two games, as I'm sure didn't escape your attention, Matt. Obviously, a lot of attention uh, focused on the racist abuse received by some of the England players and what to do about it in the future. What was your view on the performance? The performance was excellent, and particularly the response to conceding a really sloppy goal to make it a 1-1. Um, obviously, I had a close eye on, on hudson Adoy and Barkley in particular, who were good. Um, Barkley's really hit some form in the last month or so, but it's just really sad for for Callum in particular on his first start for his country in a game where he played so well that he goes and does his post-match and the questions are all about the racist abuse that he suffered and, and as you're probably aware, Chelsea have offered him some counselling on that and um, the similar abuse that he got in the Europa League game in Kiev a couple of weeks ago. And you just wonder what the... Uh, Raheem Sterling's put it far more eloquently than, than I can. Um, 
He's been brilliant, by the way. I mean, on and off the pitch, he's just, I think it's Jason Burt of The Telegraph who said he's like the most important sportsman in England at the moment. I don't think um, that that's too too high praise, but you just don't want it to be a you know a measly fine from UEFA for Montenegro. If there is to be something done about it, it, it shouldn't be up to the players to be leading that. It should be up to the, the governing bodies of the sport, surely. Absolutely. Also, causing controversy, although not such a weighty issue, was the unveiling of the mascot for Euro 2020, Skillsy. Viva La Razzla says, can Oily Sailor address the Euro mascot's farce, please? Yeah, I mean, it's another small boy as mascot. Um, we had Super Victor in France in 2016, and then uh, we had Slavek and Slavko for oh, Poland yeah. and Ukraine. I think we all remember those. And then, of course, Tricks and Flicks at Switzerland and Austria uh, in Were 2008. they both young boys? Again, yeah, and it's just a, sort of a lack of imagination. If you go back, you've obviously got Pinocchio for Italy in 1980. Uh, Sweden 92 had Rabbit, who um, was a rabbit, so that was accurate, if nothing else. Um, and then Euro 96, we had Goliath. Was it a rabbit or was it a duck on its side? Good question. Matt's, right. Only Matt's T-shirt can answer that. Um, and then, Hold yeah. On. The Euro 96 mascot was called Goliath. Goliath, yeah. I have no recollection of that at all. But it's good, isn't it? Because it was a lion. Let's look into this. Yeah, anyway, so you, your point is, or rather. Well, I think Viva generally people would like a return to, to animals rather than. Or just kind of generic gender neutral figures like the stick man Chow, Chow from yeah, Italian 90. Yeah. Probably the most beloved mascot of all. Well, I think the under. The underlying problem here is that people will automatically favour the mascots that they remember when they were maybe... Do you think that's what it is? I think Because so. I often wonder with Chow why people are so affectionate. Were you to, for example, ask which mascot would you least like to see coming out of your cl- closet at two in the morning, I'd have Chow high up there. It's, it's got a sl- certain well, slender I don't know, menace. tricks and flicks wouldn't be too popular. I no. Think. The Partick Thistle one. Yeah, obviously yeah. obvious that one. Obviously that one. Um, but I reckon underneath that crustic theory beats a heart of gold. Well, anyway, Viva Lorenzo, <laughs> thanks for bringing that up. Has there been any response from you, Wafer Duncan, uh, about the kind of stereotypical nature of Skillsy? Um, no, I mean, they're obviously doubling down on the on the upbeat nature of his love of flicks and tricks, but in freestyle form. Right. Right. Um, so I think he's here to stay. I see. Uh, in other international news, Cristiano Ronaldo picked up a hamstring thing in the 1-1 draw for Serbia, Portugal off to a very disappointing start so far, but he says, I know my body and I will be back for the Ajax Champions League game. We'll have more international news later on. Right now, this. I'm Graham Wilcos, here to tell you that the Bradley Wiggins show from Eurosport is back for a brand new series. For 20 years I've just been called a hero and a legend, you know, and other things obviously, but only behind the back. (laughs) We'll bring you stage-by-stage analysis of the Giro d'Italia, the World Championships, La Vuelta, and of course, the Tour de France. Each week, Sir Brad and our panel of cycling experts will be taking a deep dive into the world of two wheels and lycra. Brailsford could put his hand down a toilet and pull chocolate out. The Bradley Wiggins Show from Eurosport is your essential guide to the greatest events in cycling. Subscribe now on Audioboom, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Duncan, you shave your legs and use a bicycle. How much do. do you enjoy that? I did. It's, I listened to this week's episode. It was very good. Very good. Excellent. And Ben Green's voice is in it halfway through, That's which true. is a, a delight. By the way, speaking of things that will be dropping soon, do look out for the return of the weekly The Offside Rule podcast. 
because that will be with you, I think, from 7am on Friday morning with their take on the week's internationals and Spurs New Stadium and all sorts of things. Uh, back to the weekend. Man United have confirmed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as permanent manager. Ned Potter flagging up, if you will, uh, the rarely cited positive use of the corner flag in a club announcement here. <laughs> That's nice to see, isn't it? Well, I thought they could have gone for something slightly grander. What, than a corner such, flag? Yeah, for such a positive announcement. What would you have put? I would have gone for a substitutes board with the number 20, his squad number, coming on. Right. Uh, you know. It's nice, isn't it? Yeah. Excellent. Anyway, so there he is, facing one of the challenges that I think a lot of people had said was going to define whether he might become permanent manager, trying to turn this team around from defeat. Not just one defeat, Tom, but two, two defeats. Yes, it's interesting timing, this decision. Um, I don't think anyone would would question the fact that Solskjaer deserves a chance at, at the job. I mean, he's he's completely revitalised the club. He's renewed the thread with the Ferguson era that appeared to have disappeared um, over the last few years. Um, but I wonder why United felt the need to make the announcement now rather than waiting until the end of the season um, because United have gone on this fantastic run of form into the Champions League quarterfinals and yet they've just slipped out of the top four. Um, they've got a very difficult draw in the Champions League against Barcelona. And you think, you know, suppose they don't make top four and suppose they get hammered by Barcelona in the quarterfinals. Will will there be any sense of regret come the end of the season that they've they've taken this decision too quickly? Um, I mean, you know, United's form has been absolutely sensational, but it's necessarily unsustainable. And uh, you wonder whether the, the dip in form that we witnessed before the international break was the start of a, a regression to the mean, um, which is not to say that I don't think Solskjaer is the right man for the job. I just find the timing a little bit curious. Well, since that photo of uh, Solskjaer, Ferguson and Eric Cantona in the dressing room in Paris, they've got a 100% defeat record. So, so there you go. What do you think? Um, on the expected tempting fate scale, that's pretty <laughs> high. Um, I mean, it's a lot of people are saying Solskjaer's a good appointment because he gets the DNA of a club, but does that really mean anything? I mean, Alex Ferguson didn't have the DNA of Manchester United when he came in 1986. What does it mean? But did he have it when he started winning with them, though, years later? Yeah, six years later. Um, I don't know. I mean, as Tom said, it, he had to get the job given the start, but right. the start is also unsustainable, so there will be a tailing off, which we might be witnessing, witnessing now. OK. Interesting to see what happens in the summer in terms of how much they back him in the transfer market, but also whether appointing him can persuade De Gea to sign a contract and stop Pogba talking about other clubs that he'd like to play for one day. Uh, it's a good game for him to go into against a Watford side who have never won a league game at Old Trafford. They've got an FA Cup semi-final coming up next weekend. We saw how they rotated uh, when they played at City before the quarters. So you'd expect him to win this game. But after that, the hard work really starts. And yeah, I think the summer, summer well, will also, be key. There's a lot of United fans are, are hoping that the Solskjaer appointment doesn't mean that they, the club don't appoint the director of football, which I think most people would agree is you know as necessary as uh, as a new manager you you wouldn't be surprised to see pochettino there in a year 18 months time still i don't think wow you know, pochettino gets the first season at spurs maybe the first season for solskjaer doesn't go according to plan and then he goes to old trafford matt uh, there's a bunch of united players who have been injured before or during the international break. Not sure what the status is on all of these. Martial, Luke Shaw, Rashford Lukaku and Eric Bailly as well. 
So by no means a full-strength Man United team, but as you mentioned, their record against Watford, impeccable. The only team to have played more away games at Manchester United and never won than Watford are Luton Town. Is that right? Mm, They're old rivals. Okay. Man United, who are currently one point ahead of Chelsea, who will see their top four aspirations collide with Cardiff survival ambitions... Uh, on Sunday at five minutes past two, uh, down in uh, Wales, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I think the worry for for Chelsea is this uh, abysmal run of away form that they've hit. Uh, they've lost four of their five away games in the league in 2019, which is pretty wretched. Uh, and the last we saw of them was them losing uh, 2-0 at Everton before the international break and Maurizio Sarri uh, talking afterwards about a mental block. Uh, I think he'd been, he'd been quite pleased by Chelsea's first half, but then they hadn't showed up in the second half. Right. And... I mean, you mentioned that away form. So defeats at Spurs, 4-0 at Bournemouth, 6-0 at City and then the Everton game. Yeah, which and, and and the fact that Sarri keeps talking about his his players' mental approach, mental blocks, you know, this this thing that appears to afflict them when they go on the road suggests that he recognises there's something there that needs addressing. Um, Cardiff ordinarily wouldn't be the most uh, troubling opponents, but they they had that that handy win at home to West Ham before the international break and, and their home form has generally been been quite good um, so yeah not not an ideal place for, for Chelsea to be going and I, I you know I think it's about time that they did they did sort of figure out this issue that seems to affect them when they're on the road Right one of the ways of solving it might be to do with a, a managerial change that seemed to be very much in the offing and then it receded with some better results but now uh, post-Everton what's the mood like at Cobham Matt? Yeah, the, the talk of it seems to sort of come and go doesn't it I mean I think it, if it was going to happen I sort of wonder if it would have happened already before now to be honest so uh, I'd be surprised if we didn't see out the season just on the mental block thing which is something that uh, Maritza Sarri keeps referring back to I do find it quite strange that he hasn't gone for hudson Adoy and Loftus-Cheek and to a lesser extent Andreas Christensen if he's talking about it's difficult to change these players' mentality you know you, you think of the likes of Pedro or William who are 30-31 around that age why not get these young guys who are presumably much more malleable train them in your way of playing one would think that that would be an easy thing to do but, um, but he hasn't done that so far it'd be interesting to see if Hudson Odoi starts obviously he hasn't started a Premier League game I'd be surprised if he did because neither Pedro nor William were on international duty so they've been at Cobham for the last two weeks um, and yeah Giroud or Higuain is the other one obviously Giroud in the week went up to number three on the all-time list of France goal scorers scored right. in both their games got the usual bit of noise from him and then oh, it was lost in translation quickly afterwards that we get from players on, on international What was the noise break. Matt? Uh, he was kind of indicating that he, he might be looking for a way out and has been heavily linked with a move to Lyon um, but then he's since come back and said well Chelsea have told us that nobody's leaving if we can't bring anybody in well, Higuain, um, all of his goals in the Premier League so far have come against teams in the relegation zone. So he, That's true. He seems like a good option for Cardiff. Um, and if we want to pinpoint exactly where this game is going to take place, um, Chelsea have made more passes in their own half this season, more than 400, more than any other team. Cardiff have made more than 1,500 fewer than any other team. <laughs> so look out for that. All right. Outstanding. It's a busy week for Cardiff, who as well as battling the drop... Uh, they're two points currently behind Burnley and Saints. With a game in hand. With a game in hand. Oh, are Burnley. also busy trying to stiff Nantes over the fee for Emiliano Sala. That's an extraordinarily uh, unbecoming business. Uh, Tom, how's that playing in Wales? 
it's not playing very well in France, I know that for sure. Um, yeah, it's a very unedifying coda to such a tragic story. Um, I, I suppose the one consolation is that we are getting closer to the point at which FIFA will make a ruling on, on so you know, where the blame lies. They signed Salah, deposited a contract with the English FA. The English FA said, though, this clause in here that needs changing... This is Cardiff's point of view. So, uh, so Cardiff were waiting to ratify or for the new version to be ratified. So technically, in their mind, the deal hadn't been ratified by the English FA when he took the the ill-fated plane from Nantes. But it's a pretty extraordinary... Yeah, well, the transfer had been ratified by, by FIFA. Right. So this wasn't the case that the transfer hadn't gone through. The transfer had gone through. This is more of a paperwork issue. And Cardiff are basically pointing to that in an attempt to rule that the transfer was invalid. Uh, and yeah, just leaves a very sour taste. And also because I think you look at the way that the initial fan reaction to what right. happened was this great sort of rapprochement, and you know you had Cardiff fans coming over to Nantes and this great solidarity between the clubs. And then you know within days of that, we f- we find out that that Cardiff haven't made the first payment, and the, suddenly you know all this goodwill has evaporated. The banner: "We never saw you play, but you'll live in our hearts mm, forever." But yeah. we're not going to pay anything for you. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, and I yeah, I get the impression that you know from the Cardiff fans who went out to Nantes that, that you know that there were relationships that were that, that were founded there and that there will be something positive that comes out of this um but yeah for the time being it's uh it's it's a, a pretty unpleasant story okay chelsea then matt you confident about their chances away at cardiff uh yeah i am actually i i, I saw cardiff um, beat west ham handily but west ham just didn't turn up for that game i think i think neil warnock's quite canny in the way that he uh prepares for upcoming fixtures so their next three games after this are all away the first one's at Manchester City so he might say look you know we'll do well to get one point from these two games but after that they've got that huge game at Burnley Mm. and then they go to Brighton after that so they're two huge games in their season they've also got Fulham and Palace before um, the end of the campaign but likewise they've got Liverpool and then they finish at Old Trafford so I think there really is going to be a lot of we need to focus on Burnley, Brighton, Fulham and Palace getting something from those games right? and they might be able to stay up Burnley two points ahead of them Brighton only five points ahead and as you mentioned Cardiff with that game in hand Oh, some more Chelsea news. You're through to the semi-finals of the Women's Champions League. Yes, excellent this. Um, who'd have thought that, that as our friend Sasha Gurinov pointed out, uh, PSG crumbling in stoppage time, um, amazingly, <laughs> last night. So Chelsea were 2-0 up after the, the first leg at Kings Meadow uh, last week. PSG got it back to 2-2. They scored just after half-time. And then um, anne Katrin Berger, the Chelsea keeper, um, fumbled one into her own net. But in the first minute of stoppage time, brilliant cross from the captain, Karen Carney, for Maren Mielder, great story for her. She's been out for most of the season with a, a really bad injury and came back to get the goal that sent them through to a really difficult semi-final against Lyon, who've won the last three editions of the Women's Champions League. They are fabulous. They beat Wolfsburg, who've been Chelsea's bogey team in this competition the last few years. So hopefully they can... 3 on aggregate. Yeah, they did. A massive win because Wolfsburg are, are a brilliant team. The other um, semi is Barca v Bayern, but, but it'd be good for Chelsea to win it uh, for the English women's game, which obviously had this massive boost with money, but it, in this competition under both its geysers, only Arsenal in 2007 of English teams have ever won it. Is that right? Mm. That massive boost of money, I think, happened. That was in the last week, wasn't it? The, yes. The, the news that Barclays are essentially now sponsoring. Uh, yeah. How much of a lift financially does that give? Uh, the deal's worth £10 million, but for the first time, there will be prize money for the winners of the league, for one thing, which is extraordinary when you think that's never been the case. Uh, but it's, it's big for the league because there are teams like Chelsea and Manchester City who essentially, uh, the money that the men's first team makes 
pays for the women's team and you can write off that so you get big luxurious squads full of you know, Chelsea have got three international goalkeepers in their women's team um, but for teams nearer the bottom of the league who don't have the same level of investment this should mean that there's a bit more parity between your your Chelsea's and your Yeovil's or whoever so over the next couple of years we'll see that taking effect and, and hopefully the standard from positions 1 to 11 as it is in WSL 1 will we'll be a bit closer there should also be some good teams coming up from the championship as well mm, yeah, Manchester United, United and, yeah. just switching back to the race for Champions League football for the fellas Man United's men's side two points behind the Gunners who lie fourth and will be hosting Newcastle could be loads of goals in this game what do you think? Yeah, you Monday. think back to that four-four, don't you? Whenever you think of, it. I know that was at St James's Park, but the oh, yeah. old, uh, yeah, the only time a team's ever thrown away a four-goal lead in the Premier League. Um, well, the previous four meetings in London, Newcastle have shipped fifteen goals. There was a seven-three. Was, was that not the Theo Walcott game? Mm. Yeah, it yeah. was in uh, two thousand and twelve, back in the the heady days of Alan Pardew. Uh, for the Magpies. Newcastle, though, in, in good form of late. I can't remember the stat, perhaps you can, Duncan, but in a last in a certain number of games recently, they've got one of the best records in the Premier League. Yeah, that's true. They've been in good form, I think it's known as. Yeah, so lost one of six. Two of the last nine. All right, then. Matt and I've got different versions <laughs> of the same stat, basically. <laughs> They're on 35 points, so, I mean, realistically, they probably need one more win to stay up. But a, a word for the Just poor Newcastle supporters who are going, on, going to this game. Right. This is the 15th consecutive Monday night Premier League game yeah, Newcastle have had, night. all away from home. Yeah, they haven't played at home on a Monday since uh, Wigan in 2012. So uh, that's just ridiculous. That's miserable, isn't it? Mm. So they're not going to finish till 10 o'clock. Yeah. Still, you Won't know, somebody think London. of the Magpies? Yeah, absolutely. Newcastle's form may be hard to quantify, but Arsenal's, the figures speak pretty plainly, four wins in a draw in their last five. Yeah, and they'll know that if Tottenham don't win at Anfield on Sunday, that a win will take them above Spurs in the table, which I believe for Arsenal fans is a big deal. Well, so. yes, and also because it's not a guarantee by any means, given the, uh, as we've detailed previously, the ongoing success of Premier League clubs in Europe, that the top four might get into the Champions League for long and convoluted reasons. Newcastle definitely won't have Fabian Scher in the team. He got knocked out, of course, in Switzerland's game with Georgia, but then was allowed to carry on playing. Ridiculous. You see his quote after. No, what was it? This, uh, after the match he was interviewed, which again probably shouldn't have happened. I was out for a few seconds. My skull is still humming and I've got a neck ache and a bruise on my forehead. Uh, the chief exec of the brain injury charity Headway, Peter McCabe, said the decision to allow Fabian Scher to return to the field of play after suffering a clear concussion was not only incredibly dangerous, but also a clear dereliction of duty. He has just got to be. I mean, he was unconscious. How do you then go on it's to play in a football match? I should clarify, he, he's not missing this fixture because of the ramifications of that, but because he was suspended. But he, but he ought to, hadn't he? He, yeah, he ought no, to be absolutely. out for the next two weeks and yeah. then he can come back. All right. Um, what, how, what, what do you think of Newcastle's chances of springing a surprise on the Gunners? I don't think they will. I think Arsenal Arsenal know they've got this kind of run of, of fixtures against teams that they you know, should win. Um, and yeah, I think, they're, I think Arsenal are going to come third. Bold, bold predictions on today's Totally Football Show, Tom. In the next part, we'll be tackling some really big questions, Tom, like what's the dirtiest fixture in English football? Oof. And uh, some other things as well after this. Hi, I'm Rodri Giggs. You probably know me for being related to a famous sports star. That's right, my dad did play rugby for Wales. I've always lived a loyal life, always used the same brand of tea bags. 
I always drink in the same pub. And always support my country. Questions will be asked. You see, loyalty gets you nowhere. Live for rewards instead. That's why I'm Paddy's Rewards Club ambassador. Paddy Powers Rewards Club. Loyalty's dead. Live for rewards. Season season by 18 plus begamblerware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Scottish News is another old firm derby this weekend. If you'd like to know more about that and the other 10 teams in the Scottish Premiership, why? Totally Scottish Football Show is literally made just for you. Meantime, could be a tasty one at Ellen Road this weekend as Leeds, who are just a point of automatic promotion, host their friends Millwall. Duncan, is that the dirtiest fixture? A little bit of a shot in the dark here. Is that is that the dirtiest fixture in English football? I had a quick look at the um, the dirtiest games in Premier League history. Okay. Um, and if we base this on cards per game, which I think is probably fair as a as a shorthand, um, the dirtiest actually is Newcastle against Sunderland, which is pleasing given what it is. But Leeds are are twice in the top five. So Leeds games against Arsenal and Leeds games against West Ham. So let's hope they come back to the Premier League and bring their own brand of rough and tumble. I hope them. football's the real winner here. Of course, it's such a, a big game in so many ways. Uh, we're going to be in Leeds. I say we, and I include you very much in that, Duncan, because you just joined the team mm. for Totally Football Live in Leeds on Monday the 15th of April. If you'd like to be a part of what will certainly be an evening, listeners, there are not many tickets left, but you can get the remaining ones at cityvarieties.co.uk. It'll be uh, myself, uh, Julian Laurence, you, Duncan Alexander, and a real Yorkshireman Rory Smith. And uh, we'll be discussing, we'll be fielding questions and waxing eloquent and opining on all sorts of things related to, yes, Leeds, but also the beautiful game in general. Back to the Premier League, speaking of which, other matches this weekend include West Ham, Everton. The Toffees could go above West Ham into 10th place if they get a win at the London Stadium, following on from their 2-0 win over Chelsea last time out. At West Ham, interestingly, have won three consecutive home games at London Stadium for the first time since they moved there. And they've actually got the best overall home record in the division what? outside the top six, oh. which makes you wonder whether London Stadium, that d- detested new home of theirs, might actually be starting to suit them, whisper it quietly. Crikey. Leicester, meanwhile, will be hosting Bournemouth at the King Power in a rematch of a bit of a belter from last September. Uh, Bournemouth Leicester back then finished 4-2 to the Cherries. They went 3-0 up uh, by half-time. Leicester then had Wes Morgan sent off and scored two goals in the last three minutes, Duncan. Yeah, this game will feature James Madison, who's now officially the most creative player in Europe's big five leagues this season. Well, joint, isn't he? No, I think he's now a clear at is the he? top. Yeah, okay. with 84. Four ahead of uh, a Messi. So, is and he better yeah. than Messi? Yes. Uh, 84 goal-creating chances, is that right? Passes. Yeah. Yeah. Passes that lead to a shot, essentially. Passes that lead to a shot. No Harry Maguire for Leicester. He suspended Palace. Take on Huddersfield, and Huddersfield could be relegated excitingly and dramatically this weekend if they do lose at Selhurst Park and Burnley and Southampton beat Wolves and Brighton. They'll be the second team in the Premier League era to be relegated before the end of March. Before the clocks have gone forward. Before the clocks have gone forward. Derby, obviously Derby. the record. And the good thing about the Derby won was, because obviously Derby went down on March the 29th, which was to be the Brexit date. And they 
that we went down 11 points and it was 11 years later that Brexit was due to happen on the same day. So there's some mystery going on there. It certainly is. And now it doesn't matter. So. <laughs> well, Wan-Bissaka, where's he going to be next season? I reckon he'll do one more season at, at Crystal Palace. Um, he's maybe got the chant of the season for me so far, I think. Your wingers don't like him. Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka. All right, so that's par. Uh, the other two games see Saints and Burnley, as I mentioned, who are both two points above the drop, visit Brighton and host Wolves respectively. Brighton Saints, Seagulls have won their last three, including a cup game against Millwall. Saints have lost three of their last five. How much trouble are Saints in? Uh, teetering their two points above a Cardiff team who have uh, a game in hand? I mean, I think Saints actually look in relatively decent shape I mean they beat Spurs last time out um, unlucky to lose at Old Trafford in the game prior to that beat Fulham in the game before that they've not had a game for what feels like about two months so Ralph Hasenhutl will have had even more time to mm. to drill them so I, I think Southampton are actually looking um looking James Ward-Prowse has started scoring goals after mm. a, a long drought and he's obviously been away with England so that might give him a little fillet Mm. I think mm-hmm. both these teams will stay. I think it is between Cardiff and Burnley for that for that last relegation place. Um, and Brighton, you know, if they do stay up and they've reached the FA Cup semi-final, it's a successful season for them. Uh, hopefully they don't, you know, suffer a heavy defeat to Man City, which might change that. But this will be a draw. All three Premier League games between these two have been a draw. And, is that right? Yeah. OK, what about Burnley-Wolves? Four defeats in a row for Burnley coming into this one. Wolves, the usual take on them is that they just do much better against the bigger clubs so is this this the kind of fixture where they could come unstuck yeah it is and you know Burnley need to get something from this game because three of their last four are Chelsea Man City and Arsenal so as the much other one as, being Everton away yeah so as yeah. much as Sean Dyche can talk about the framework and the clarity within the group as my Burnley supporting friend pointed out he oh, literally says in every post-match interview they, they need to get results in games like this and you know they lost to Leicester and when was Harry Maguire sent off fourth, fourth minute, minute of the yeah. game and they mm. lost that at home. They concede loads of goals in stoppage time, more than any other team, which for some reason I think is not very Daichian, but they look in big trouble, they're, Burnley. They're one away from the record for, for 90th minute goals conceded in a, in a Premier League season. So there's that. Um, a couple of things on Wolves. Wolves only use 90... Sorry, can, you, can you tell us who holds the record? Uh, currently it's 10... Well, Burnley jointly hold it at the moment with Cardiff in 2013-14 and Hull in 2016-17. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do it. I believe in them. Um, Wolves only used 19 players so far. There's only been what? one team in Premier League history to use less than fewer than 20 players in a was season. Was it Hull? It wasn't Hull. It was Liverpool in 1995-96. So they could do that. And Ruben Neves has still right. only had three touches in the opposition box this season, two of which have been penalties that he's tucked away. So wow. look out for him not getting in the box. So he's had two one amazing touch stats there. He's had in one touch. Yeah. And the other one being that they've only used 19 players... 30 games into a Premier League season. Yeah. That's remarkable. Fit. Oh, that's everything for the Premier League then. Brilliant. Let's have a bit of Matt's birthday cake and then return with the rest of the world, quite literally. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Hello, world. Here's what's happening in your football this weekend. Bayern and Borussia Dortmund, who are neck and neck, literally, they're level on points at the top of the Bundesliga. Bayern Munich are at Freiburg, while Borussia Dortmund hosts Wolfsburg, who lies seventh, five points off the top four. Bayern Munich, of course, this week uh, 
making a bit of a splash by signing France's World Cup winner Lucas Hernandez for 68 million euros. I've seen bigger figures actually than that, but a, a large sum of money from Atletico Madrid, as has been pointed out. They're basically assembling the French World Cup winning squad in Bavaria because you've got uh, Kingsley Coman, Tolisso's there, Benjamin Pavard is coming into summer. The World Cup squad. Kingsley Coman did not go to Russia. Because oh. he was injured. But, I mean, he is a well, he's current been, member of the squad. The, yeah, OK, current yeah. French. I mean, the interesting right, yeah. thing about uh, Pavard and Hernandez is that they were France's World Cup winning fullbacks and yet have both spent most of the season playing at centre-back. It's hmm. interesting to see where they end up. But, I mean, the feeling with Pavard certainly is that his long-term future lies at centre-back. Uh, and clearly, Bayern have already got options in the fullback positions. You've got Alaba on the left, you've got Kimmich on the right. So, even more options now. Are you a big fan of Lucas Hernandez? Yeah, I am. I am. I was kind of surprised that he was drafted into the France team as late in the day as he was because the expectation had been that Benjamin Mendy, having got back to fitness at the end of last season, would uh, would start the World Cup as, as France's first choice. But he was absolutely fantastic in the tournament. And him and Pavard linked up famously for Pavard's goal against Argentina because it was Hernandez's cross from the uh, from the left that set up that goal. So, yeah, it'd be good to see them in, in tandem again uh, right. for Bayern. Current French side getting their Euro qualifiers off to a blistering start with a 4-1 win over Moldova and then 4-0 over Iceland, during which, as you mentioned previously, Matt, uh, Olivier Giroud moved into third on the all-time scoring charts for France. Anything we should watch out for in Ligue 1 this weekend, Tom? Well, not so much Ligue 1, but in France, the oh. first major silverware of the season will be contested in Saturday's Coupe de la Ligue final in Lille between Strasbourg and Gangon. So not exactly showstoppers. And when you get two relatively unheralded sides in the final of a domestic cup like this, the tendency is to assume that they must have somehow avoided all the big teams. Strasbourg have won at Lille, at Marseille, at Lyon, and then won at home to Bordeaux. Gangon have knocked out uh, Nice, PSG and Monaco. So they're both really earned their right to be there um, and sort of interesting stories behind behind both clubs Strasbourg one of the most sort of well-established French clubs but they were playing in the fifth level of French football in 2011-12 uh, after various financial problems and have since clawed their way back to the top flight and now fairly comfortably installed in 10th in place and Gangon who've spent almost the entire season at the foot of the Ligue 1 table and have had this uh, really stirring improvement uh in form uh, in the last few weeks they're now out of uh, the two automatic relegation spots um, and yeah had that fantastic win over PSG in the quarterfinals um, so I think it'll be whoever comes out on top of that it, you know, it's, it's quite a nice story Very nice Talking of cup finals this weekend it's the Checker Trade uh, final at Wembley between Portsmouth and Sunderland who are two old uh, storied clubs who I'm sure will have a nice day out until one of them loses. If you want to hear a bit more on that, this week's Totally Football League show, we uh, delved into that. Sell out at Wembley, 80,000. Very nice. Mm. Very nice. In Italy, where the Zuri also made it two wins out of two and we were mocking their scoring record on, on Monday's show, they went and scored six against Liechtenstein uh, on, when was that, Tuesday? Even Marco Verratti scored. It was a great goal. I a lovely goal. That was that was the headline in the keep. Even Verratti scored. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, lovely goal. And Qualiella got two goals, admittedly both penalties. What is he, 36? And it was all very, very impressive against Liechtenstein. In City this weekend, it's absolutely huge. Saturday evening, Sampdoria take on Milan. 
Sampu are in very fine form at the moment, home of the aforementioned Quag. Roma Napoli is the Derby of the South. That's uh, Sunday lunchtime. And you can follow that up with a huge game in the race for top four places as Inter hosts Lazio at San Siro on Sunday night. All those games available to watch on Premier Sports in the UK. We'll be talking about those games a bit and the Italy side, but particularly Italy's glorious 1982 World Cup campaign. Glorious and improbable. World Cup campaign in this week's Golazzo. Do join myself, Gabardelli Marcotti and James Horncastle for that at your convenience. Here's a question from uh, hmm, ODHBBSC. Which Brit does the pod think had the best season abroad ever? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Best season abroad ever by a British player. British player. Hmm. Mm, just thinking of this season in Jaden Sanchez, but maybe, I don't know, John Charles? Yeah, I was going to... John, John Charles, Charles is always the classic yeah. go-to. But if we're talking about a single season, how about Gareth Bale's first season at Real Madrid? OK. Which so culminates Tom. in him scoring that absolute worldie against Barcelona mm. in the Copa del Rey final. We had to run off the pitch and then come back on. And then scoring the pivotal goal in the Champions League final. It's not bad going. I think I would. Season. And at that point, no one knew that he was never going to learn Spanish and spend half his time on the golf course. And he didn't have a silly haircut either. So it was basically as good Did as he, it was got Was he not him. wearing the top knot that year? He was pre-top knot. Right. Pre-top knot. So, yeah. I think I'm going to go for Alan Hutton at Mallorca. OK. <laughs> Jermaine Pennant, leaving that car somewhere in Spain. Yeah. Here's another nomination. This is from Ben, Chuba Akpom. I don't think this is the kind of player that... ODHB was really talking about Jay Bothroyd see quite a lot of him in Japan still playing for right. Consadol Sapporo at the age of 36 and gets uh, double figures for goals Does every he? season yeah yeah. posted a nice picture of him with uh, with uh, Zico at a match recently Brilliant. had a spell at Perugia as well didn't he mm, he did, he did. yeah, yeah. Uh, well that's a great question I, I imagine we might return to that more definitively in the future here's another good question which might require some of your special talents Duncan Kurt Lewin says if clubs in England could only select players within a 15-mile radius of the stadium, which club would be best? Well, at the moment, you'd probably Palace. have to go for Palace or Millwall because South East London is the, the hotbed of not only British football talent but world football talent. Give us some examples. Uh, Joe Gomez, Jaden Sancho, um, Hudson-Odoi. Hudson-Odoi, yeah, Adam um, Lookman. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so I think it's never going to happen, but Millwall could, could... With Roy on the bench? Yeah. Fantastic. It's a good question, that, isn't it? Uh, again, we might return to that once. I mean, obviously, the, yeah. the really famous example of that is Celtic's European Cup win, when we're all all 11 players were, were born and re- raised within eight miles of the stadium, something like is that. Is that right? Yeah. Julian Arons is probably tearing his earphones out and saying, no, Paris Saint-Germain, <laughs> because, of course, all famous footballers have grown up in the banlieue. Well, certainly the modern breed, yeah. 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 I th- there was something on this in the Keep recently, and I, it, it's a f- relatively modern phenomenon, this fact that all the best French players come from Paris. Pre- right. In previous great French generations, they've been spread around the country a bit more. But, yeah, increasingly these days, I mean, Pogba, Mbappe, Henri, um, take your pick. Excellent. All right, well, it was a brilliant question, that. Next international break, we'll give it a right old going over. Uh, lots of you getting in touch with us about your five-a-side birthdays. Teams, we didn't get yours at the top, Tom. Okay, you ready? Yeah, it's very strong in midfield, less so elsewhere. I've got Brad Guzan between the sticks, gotta respect that. Uh, Alex Song is going to operate as my sole centre back, mm-hmm. and then I've got a free flowing midfield three of uh, Roberto Donadoni, nice Luca Modric, 
best footballer in the world. Uh, and then Oscar, uh, of well, formerly of Chelsea, is going to be my sort of false... I was going to say false nine, but I guess false if he's four. false four, probably, if it's five aside. Nice. For anyone who's wondering about Duncan's, by the way, it was Polish Pele Zibiboniak, Zico, oh, I like this, Antonio Rudiger, mm. Darren Anderton, if it... And uh, ooh, David Neres, who's currently tearing it up for Ajax and indeed Brazil. There's only one issue with that team. Oh. Doesn't have a goalkeeper. Yeah. Well, if five aside, can you rush goalies? Could you rush goalies, yeah. Yeah, Anderson will need a bit of a rest at some Duncan, point. Duncan, you've also um, done some research, and listener, you'll enjoy this, on the most propitious dates to be born for a football career. Yeah, in the Premier League, the the sixth of March is the one. Right. Um, Twenty four different uh, players have been born on the sixth of March from the current Premier League. Yeah, not from the current Premier League, all time in the Premier League. Oh, all time in the Premier League. You've got the likes of Tim Howard, Simon Mignolet, so a couple of keepers, Chico Flores, Gary Monk, Kevin Prince Boateng, um, and all the way down to to Chris David and Luis Lang, who only played one game in the Premier League. But um, which is the worst date? Well, also March, March the 22nd, um, which until very recently, there was only one player ever born on March the 22nd that had played in the Premier League, and that was former Coventry man from the 90s, Philippe Clement. Wow. Possibly good. one of the most unknown players ever, but there he is. Imagine if you were born on March 2nd trying to do your birthday, five or so, Tim. 22nd. That's right. <laughs> Okay, uh, right, that's probably enough birthday five-a-side teams for now and indeed ever. Uh, let's get some odds on the games in the Premier League this weekend. Curtsy Pretty Savan in conversation with Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Listeners, we're hurtling towards the end of the show, which means it's time for Lee Price from Paddy Power to give us some odds. Lee, uh, Liverpool versus Spurs is the biggie this weekend. Can you please give us the first goal scorer markets on this one? Well, I thought Malta versus the Faroe Islands or Luxembourg if you end was exciting last weekend, but this match might just top it. We favour Liverpool here, even though Virgil van Dijk looked briefly human recently. We think they'll open the scoring. Mo Salah, the 10 to 3 favourite, but the form man, of course, is Sadio Mane. He's next in the betting at 4 to 1 to score first, and he's the subject of our money back special this weekend. That means you'll get your money back as a free bet if Mane scores. Selected markets only, pre match singles only, max free bet £10, TNCs apply. And sticking with Spurs, Lee, they are just about clinging on to third place in terrible run of form. Um, could they miss out on the top four altogether? Yeah, the value's definitely right now on this one. Pre-match, the price on Spurs finishing outside the top four is 13 to 8, although they are odds-on to finish there, of course. But looking at their rivals' fixtures this weekend, defeat could be costly. They've just moved into their new stadium. Could they be about to move out of the top four? Ouch. And finally, I've got a feeling in my bones, and it's not because I'm a Liverpool supporter, could there be a double on Fulham beating City and Watford beating West Ham this weekend? Not going to laugh, because sometimes, Ben, you have your funny psychic moments. I'm just going to nod and smile, which isn't an audio feature, admittedly. This extraordinary double is 134-1 to for just two victories. Fulham to beat Man City on its own is 17-1, to while Watford winning at Old Trafford is 13-2. to The numbers say it's unlikely. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Monday's Totally Football Show has got an electric and, dare I say, eclectic lineup. Michael Cox, Lira Rosenia, he's back. And Sasha Gurionov, also back. If you've got a question for them, 
let us know. What, you, what have you got lined up for this weekend, Matt? It's usually some something eclectic, isn't it? Yeah, Gamba Osaka v Vissel Kobe on uh, Saturday morning UK time Brilliant. Uh, for DAZN around the world. Vissel Kobe, obviously home of Lucas Podolski, David Villa and Andres Iniesta, which is why their games get chosen <laughs> for selection yeah. on uh, broadcast. And is it as good as it sounds? Um, it's funny because... David Villa's 37 and he's like a spring chicken. He scored a couple of goals already. Iniesta, obviously, uh, Vissel Kobe uh, have by far the biggest possession of any team in the league, as you might expect. And then Podolski, who is the youngest of the three uh, and is carrying a bit of timber, I think it's fair to say, just kind of ambles around trying to get near Iniesta passes and stuff. He scored in their, in their last game, actually, but they create loads and loads of chances, don't score enough of them. And uh, last time against Shimuzu Espulse, it came back to bite them. They conceded an 88th minute equaliser. Uh, Fernando Torres with his Seg and Tosu team they are still rubbish you'll remember they they just stayed up missing the relegation playoff last season they've hired one of his ex-Atletico Madrid teammates to be the manager for this season they're giving him the captain's armband they're doing everything they can to try and get a tune out of him and he gets booked for dissent in every game he plays and very rarely scores what have you got planned for this weekend Tom? Uh, combination of playing and watching sport I see it's a classic classic Good combo, weekend splitter huh? right. yeah and, and what about you, Duncan? I'm going to Oxford United v Wickham on Saturday. The, right. the M- Massive game at the bottom of League One. <sighs> I know. At the M40 derby, whoever wins gets free use of the motorway for a year, whereas the other team has to pay toll. Right. Big um, game for the Wickhamists, that, I presume. Well, they're both. Yeah. Nice. Big week for the Wickhamists. Big week, yeah. Uh, and a week, week for the Bigamists, or something. There'll be some of them, though. <laughs> um, super. All right. Well, listener, whatever you're up to this weekend, do have yourselves a great one. And remember to join us on Monday for our look back on the whole thing. Uh, for now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.